Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. And you're in the transporter room. Week number six, I think. I don't know. I've lost track of how many weeks of quarantine we're under. So there's a new law here in Connecticut, Carly. Did you hear about Governor Ned Lamont's new uh, new requirement? Yep. And that's why I've got face masks coming. <laughs> that's why oh, I've good got for a lot you. of face, cards, face coverings coming. I I know a couple people down, down around New Haven Way who are making face masks. So who are making face masks, and they're rather stylish, I must say. I can't wait for mine to get here. But for the most part, yeah, we're we're covering up, and that's hey, that's the that's the law. That's the way, that's the way it's going to be for a little bit, and and actually, it's a smart thing to do at this point. We have to I do agree. everything to flatten the curve. And it looks like we're getting there. This week, however, there were protests at the Capitol by people who want to end the lockdown. They want to just like in other states get back to work and they're protesting outside the Capitol, not maintaining social distancing, not wearing masks. I saw one picture on the internet of a woman holding a sign that said, my body, my choice. Where'd you get that idea from? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I will just put it this way. It's not your body. It's not your choice when you're going out into the public forum and you can affect others Two completely different issues here. But did you hear about what happened in Kentucky? What happened right in after Kentucky? You had a you had a spike in cases right after their protest, and patient zero was at the protest. Of course, I, I mean, also I also like reading the obituaries of the people who are um, adamantly against the lockdown, and when they get coronavirus and then they die, it's almost like karma is at work. And well, I'll say this: as, as much as we want to gloat about that, I'm not. It's I'm not gloating. Right now, I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. It's like I'm for just me, saying it's karma. It, That's all. It is a. It is. It is karma. It's a messed up karma. And to be honest, I was talking to my roommate earlier this morning, and Dawn. There's only one thing that's going to get people to realize that that the only way to go for right now is this quarantine to continue. The only way to go is that there's only one thing that's going to really get people this point. We need Roger Goodell to go on to go on TV and say, if we can't flatten the curve by this point in the summer, we can't have an NFL season. That's the only I, I, to me. I think pro football is the, football is the last hope to get people to listen because we've tried everything else. I mean, you're seeing the carnage in New York City. That's not working. You're starting to see more and more people are starting to have people they know who are directed affected by COVID-19. That's not working. On one instance, we're calling we're calling healthcare workers our heroes. And then yesterday, you see, and then a couple of days ago in Denver, Colorado, you see a woman literally tell a nurse in scrubs who's been dealing with this, if you don't like it, go to, why don't you move to China? You're a communist. Shameful. I think there's only one way to get around this. Take take something away people really care about, and that's pro football. Take the threaten to take that away. I'll bet people will run into mask and run into quarantine and social distancing so fast their head will spin. I mean, I don't know what to do anymore. We're flat. We're trying to flatten the curve in this country. And we have these protests. Something has got to be, something's got to give because personally I'm sick of being in quarantine. I'm sick of being in isolation. 
I know a lot of people who are in who are sick of isolation as well, and it's starting to affect people. Oh, sure. Mental want... health is still an issue. And oh, you yes. know, it is it is worse in New York City. Every 12 minutes over the last weekend, one New York City resident died every 12 minutes. I mean, it's it's getting it's getting I mean folks. I understand people want to go outside. I want to go outside. I love being outside. This is torture for me. Most of, I mean, this is the, my favorite time of year and we're going to be in a room, but you know what? But you know what? What? A little bit of isolation right now against the lives of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions. I'll take that trade. I will I'll take that trade in a heartbeat. I'll stick in a room if I have to. No roller coasters this summer. No baseball. No picnics. No hot dogs. No barbecues. Fine. I'll take that trade if it means saving a million lives. And the sad part is there are people, a lot of them in Texas and other parts of our beautiful South, who say, I would rather die or have my grandparents die and shut down our economy a day more. They're willing to sacrifice, what did Dr. Oz say? Two to three percent of children. Oh, well, two to three percent. That's like, you know, an entire classroom in a school of a thousand kids. Just, I don't understand. I, I, you know, I want, I want, I'm a capitalist, as you know. I want money just like everybody else. I want to have work just like everybody else. But if it meant that I would not be able to earn a paycheck so that other people could live or that, you know, other people might have to struggle a little bit. I think that's going through so that everybody can live. I just, I don't understand. You know, I was, I was talking to, it's called capitalism. I know, but let's get away from that. I was talking okay. to a therapist today. My therapist and I were talking, I mean, I had trouble understanding that in one terrible day, we lost 3,000 people on September 11th. And in just a few weeks, 165,000 people have died worldwide. It's just unbelievable. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a rough situation no matter where, where you put it. For me, it's personal. My cousin's in, I have a cousin in Georgia. He's in quarantine right now. Along with about half of the post office he works for half of the po- half of the people at the post office he works at they're in quarantine right now seven confirmed cases just in one air just in one workplace seven confirmed cases we're not ready to open up this economy yet we're not i mean come on may 1st no we got we have to flatten this curve a lot more in a lot of this country and we can't and to me, can't have a situation where one state's open and one state's closed because eventually what people have to understand is when it comes to our environment, when especially when it comes to our environment, our climate, and our health, we all live on the same earth. You and I had a little discussion about uniforms coming up. Uh, I'm working on a series of uh, things for OutSports. Next week, we're going to be looking at jerseys, kits, and unis, the ones we love, the ones we hate. And you and I collaborated on a certain jersey that has personal meaning for both of us. Uh, I'm not a Texas baseball fan by any stretch of the imagination but the Houston Astros their jerseys certainly did oh I don't know bring back some memories from 1975 to 1986 they became my National League team around 1980 when I was a third grader 
in part because they had this they had a fireballing pitcher named James Rodney Richard, J.R. Richard. And I wanted to be that guy. So and also the uniforms were cool. I mean, they became my number two team behind my behind my Royals. I'm also working on a separate story on a jersey that people don't think about. People don't think about cycling jerseys that much, but there's one cycling jersey and I own a replica of it. That's just epic. And there's a story behind it. And I'm going to be writing about that. But in sports, we had in sports, there, there's still some things going on. There's no, there's no games to be played. No games are being played, but select, but the future of two leagues begin to take shape started at the uh, starting last weekend and coming into this week this this coming week is the end is the national football league's draft but this past weekend was the wnba draft we should get someone who knows a little bit about the wnba to come talk to us about that what do you think and the and it just so happens we've got it set the set the transporter beam on columbia missouri we have KCOU Sports women's basketball analyst Lauren Rosenberg. Beam her up. Thanks for having me, y'all. Well, it's great to have you here. And by the way, gotta gotta say, enjoyed listening to you on air this past season. Wait, you did? Yes, I did. Oh, thank you. I I listen to women's basketball ga- games. I go to women's basketball games. I wa- I've watched the sport for four decades, ever since my cousin, but my cousin played was a former conference player of the year. So no, it's, I, I, I especially like listening to radio cast and I can definitely say you've got a serious future in this. And I think you ought to keep at it. That's my view I mean, that's on it anyway. Cool. I love women's basketball. I love women's basketball broadcasting. It's my favorite thing to do while in college. Lauren, I'm new to WNBA and women's basketball. I started covering the sun last season and what a season it was to sit courtside and watch them come this close to a championship was just a thrilling uh, adventure. I never really enjoyed um, uh, men's basketball that much to me. It just seemed like a lot of running around for nothing, but these women at the sun, they really gave their all. And um, I'm excited to talk to you again because we've had you on our zoom out sports conferences. We've been talking to you and we enjoy hearing your voice. And I agree with Carly. Carly's uh, hit the nail on the head. You have a bright future in broadcasting. Thank you. Hopefully I'll be able to get a job and doing something. I don't really have a preference in like where I'm, where to go type of thing. So like, I mean, there it is. Well, well, before we get into WMB, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you're handling this whole thing with the coronavirus? You've got family far away, don't you? Yeah. So all my family is, of like my media family, they're all in Texas or on Houston specifically. Um, I do have some family in Chicago and um, Long Island, but like, I mean, I'm from Texas. Like my whole family is down in Texas and Houston. And um, I forgot my sister's in Austin. I have another sister in Tulsa, but like we're, we're all not in Missouri. Obviously I'm not from Missouri. I'm a Texan. So like, I mean, it's not like hard per se to be away from them. Cause I've, um, I'm a very fiercely independent person. Like my parents raised my biological sister tonight to be very independent. We all went out of state for college. So like, it's not hard, but I'm talking to them a lot more than like I'm normally 
did because like normally I would know like I'm going home for like winter break Thanksgiving break which is normally my birthday and then like spring break so like I like but I haven't been back home so I've been talking to them a lot more but otherwise it really hasn't been that bad here um the county we're in in Columbia Boone County I don't think they've had a case in like a week of coronavirus um but the stay-at-home order is supposed to end on the 25th but Missouri extended to like the 5th. So I mean, of May, so like, honestly, who knows, but I'm really not doing bad. It's just like, I hate online classes. I hate all the online classes, like every single one, like I'm taking 15 hours, like credit hours of online classes. I don't like that. (laughs) But I gotta do what I gotta do to graduate. Yeah, I know. This is, I mean, that's been kind of the mantra, you got to do what you got to do. And, but one thing that coronavirus I felt kind of ripped us, kind of really stole from us is what would have been a seriously epic women's NCAA tournament. In your mind, who would have won the national championship this year? Oh, gosh. So a little like backstory for this is I um, I write for this uh, women's basketball blog. I'm fan sided. I guess like it's an actual news site. I mean, we talk to coaches, SIBs, GM, GMs if you're covering the WNBA, I cover the big 12, which is a nice refresher from not covering the SEC. So I enjoy because I'm also a Texas and a Kansas fan. Mizzou people, please don't kill me. (laughs) Um, But we were doing a March sadness simulation tournament with um, Russ Steinberg, who's like like a certified bracketologist. And we had like an RPI simulator and everything a simulator based on rpi strength to schedule all that fun stuff and south carolina was um ended up being the national champions but i think i think oregon was going to um not because of unescu and sabali and hebert i just think that like they beat a lot of people the sec was very depleted so South Carolina was just able to cruise through. And trust me, I wouldn't know the SEC was depleted. I was covering Mizzou awesome all year. So, but I think Oregon was going to win it all. But uh, we're never going to know. Like I said, that this really kind of ripped us off from what would have been a great year. Personally, I would have agreed with you. I felt Oregon was the strongest team in the country going into the tournament. And Inescu is just that spec. She's just 100% that player. She's just that good. And I think this would have been, this would have been her. I really thought the way she was playing by the, especially the way she had played throughout the season, I really felt she could have taken a run at Cheryl Swoops' scoring record for an entire tournament in this year's tournament. I felt she could have taken a shot at that. Now, looking into the draft, you told we talked a little bit yesterday, and you said that there was a lot of curveballs thrown in this one. This didn't go quite to form the way the way that a lot of draft projections thought it would. Where were the curveballs? Okay, so I have my mock draft and the actual draft, like literally right here. So what a lot of people thought was going to happen was that Bella Larry, who was picked fifth, um, when wow pick fifth to dallas dallas wings uh people didn't think that she was gonna get picked at fifth i took a gamble and i was like she's gonna get picked at fifth and i was right so that was the the first big curveball for like the whole entire world but me 
I guess. <laughs> but what I think was a big shock was that Ruthie Hebert was available at number eight to Chicago. Um, and then that Micaiah Herbert Harrigan out of South Carolina was taken number six. I actually thought that – I thought Ruthie was actually going to go number nine. Like, full disclosure, I thought she was going to drop to nine. But I was also very, like, kind of, like, in the middle of maybe she'll go, like, six to Minnesota. Maybe she won't. I had Ty Harris going six. Um, the biggest shock that I think happened was that Beecher's mom premiere from Miami dropped to, I want to say it was the, yep, it was the second round. Dropped to the second round. That, I think, was the biggest shock. In my opinion, she dropped to 20th overall to the L.A. Sparks. That was huge because people didn't think that that was what was going to happen. People thought she was going to go first round. I had her, they said, eight to Chicago. And it's because she has a really bad foot injury. So really kind of slid. And that that was a really big curveball over there. The draft was interesting. There was one thing where Dallas, number two overall, um, they were they picked Satu Sabali of Oregon. That was supposed to happen. But uh, Commissioner Engelberg, when she was announcing the pick, she was like, the Dallas Wings select, pause, and then says Satu Sabali <laughs> because it was a between her or Lauren Cox out of Baylor. So I was talking to High Post Hoots people in it because we were going on throughout the draft and just talking about it. And I literally was like, Kathy Engelbert almost gave me a heart attack because <laughs> I thought that um, that ba- that Baylor that Dallas was about to choose Cox and everyone was like, "No, you choose Sabali over Cox." It was it was huge, <laughs> like, and I'm I'm really glad that my uh, top five got drafted and then it just crumbled from there on. Our friends over at Swish Appeal, which is another SB Nation site. Uh, Eric Nemchuk wrote a story about the biggest surprises and the things that didn't surprise him. And one of the things that stuck out for me was the fact that there were no in-draft trades. You know, the Liberty had the five of the draft's first 15 picks, and it never happened. No trades were made at all during the draft, not until after. Did that surprise you? I know Phoenix, they drafted Jocelyn Willoughby, number 10 overall. That was another curveball. No one yeah, that was after, shoot. right. That and Erica yeah. Ungamwab. Yeah, that was after to uh, New York, Victoria Walker, Kimbrough. And then, yeah, Erica Gwumake, New York to Minnesota. So, yeah, that was, I guess, like directly after. Yeah, I was shocked that there weren't any in in um, draft trades either. I was kind of, especially like you said with Dallas, I was, I was kind of confused there. But I was like, I mean, I guess because they had like the Tina Charles trade from New York to Washington just a few days earlier. Um. I, I guess that's why there wasn't. I mean, I don't know. I'm not really a GM of the NBA, but like, what I didn't don't know. surprise <laughs> you though? What didn't surprise you? What was what was the parts that you said? Well, that's going to happen. Like Chicago Sky oh, drafting yeah. a forward. That was Sabrina, that was pretty obvious. Sabrina obviously um, getting drafted number one overall. I was like, that that's obvious. Um, and then I guess my top four, well, I mean, like I said, my top five with Sabrina, Satu, Lauren Cox, Candy Carter, and then Bella Larry, they really didn't shock me, like my top five. Like, sure, Bella probably shocked a lot of other people going to Dallas fifth overall, but 
I mean, those top five really didn't shock me. Like, I was pretty set on Kennedy going to Atlanta. A lot of people thought she was going to go number three to Indiana. I was like, no, they're going to take Lauren Cox. I just, like, those just, like, weren't my shocks. And then um, another one that wasn't a shock to me at all was Erica Bumake going uh, in the third round. That that was not shocking to me. Some people thought it was. I I didn't think that was a shock. Why do you think Bella Alari surprised so many people? Why would I mean if if you watched basketball this year, I'll I'll say this. I felt she would have she would have if we would have had a tournament, Princeton would have been a very tough out in the tournament and she would have been a major reason why. Why do you think so many people seemed a little bit stunned that she went as high as she did? I want to say it's because she comes from a non-Power 5 conference and you don't really see non-Power 5 people going in the top five or in the lottery. Um, She's definitely a very underestimated player. I feel like she probably could have gone to UConn if she wanted to, but her whole family is all Ivy League. So she went to Princeton and I think that's probably what shocked a lot of people is that people really underestimate the Ivy League basketball. Well, in my mind, having also having watched some Ivy League play this year, this year in person, she was the best Ivy League player I've seen since a certain person named Allison Feaster. Huh. And Stanford can tell you how great Allison Feaster was. Feaster is a was a Feaster was like you said a, a a power five player who just happened to have an SAT score that was high enough to get an Ivy League, and that was and that was the same thing with Bella. Bella comes from good basketball stock. Dad played at Duke. Dad played the played in the NBA. Very good player, and I think is, I think she was. I think a lot of people vastly overrated her. Now, as far as now, the next question though is, how many years will Sabrina Ionescu be in the New York Liberty jersey? I say two. You say two, really? I say two. Why two? I'm a I'm a Liberty fan. I'm a Liberty fan. I'll say this right now. I don't. I don't trust the. As much as I love the New York Liberty, I don't trust the New York Liberty. Every time they get a player who's pretty good, they get really good after they're a New York Liberty. So I'm just wondering how many how many will will Inescu finally be the finally be the New York Liberty player that actually stays in New York for an extended period of time and helps get New York Liberty basketball over the hump again. It's been too I think- long. I think she will. I honestly think that Sabrina is going to be the face of the Liberty. I I really, I see what your point is, but like just from like watching her and like her demeanor and like her personality, I think that she's such a loyal player that she won't leave unless she's like forced out. I think with the new ownership in with Brooklyn and like partnering with the Nets and all that fun stuff, I think that is such a huge deal with also like rebranding because like you saw that the Madison Square Garden, the Knicks ownership did not want the Liberty. So that's why they kind of kicked them over to Westchester. And then like the Nets came in like, we want you. So I think that Sabrina is going to do so well and is really going to start um, like – bring this franchise back to what they used to be over when they um can contested the comments back in the 90s. Yeah, it's 
it's been a long time since it's been a long time since then but no that's a good that's a good point to make is that those does that the ownership change hands dolan it's one less thing for dolan to screw up which i'm very happy about <laughs> um is <laughs> now i mean now looking for looking forward to the season assuming they have one i mean for example the liberty have all the have all these draft picks they're going to be i mean it's going to be great but they're going to be but i have a feeling we'll be in also ran again this year who are coming out the draft and coming in what we hope the season who do you think will shake out and possibly win the w and possibly end up winning the league championship assuming that we have a contest for the league championship i want to say we're going to go back to phoenix um i'm not saying this because i have bias that sophie cunningham former mizzou like amazing great lover um not saying that because the team i'm saying that because they acquire Skyler diggins smith in the off season they just got walker kimbrough and then that trade they're really going like win now mode and i think that's going to do so well tarasi is going to be coming back from injury at full health uh you we have the youth from last year we have sophie then you got brianna turner and alana smith who really did well last year and stepped up their game with all the injuries with like Yvonne Turner, Sancho Little, Tarasi, when Brittany Griner was suspended for that fight with um, Christina Nigue. I have a lot of opinions on that. But like, I think that they will contend and will win this championship. But then you also have Washington. If the Mystics are coming in right now as like we are the head like we got this like the national championships the roster really hasn't changed we just got tina charles it's just going to be interesting if um tina will be able to men like mesh well with elena delodon and emma misaman then there's the, also the big question of is misaman going to be able to play this year because she's in belgium right now so depending on what trump does with um bringing people in who like have the visas to be able to work and play in the league that's all kind of dependent on that and corona and how everything's going well one thing though that's that's one of the reasons why i'm down on the liberty as well the tina charles trade in the in the conference and you and you gave her to a coach that's going to know how to use her mike mike okay. tebow you just gave a pyromaniac a zippo thanks new york liberty for trade I mean, that's going to be a, that's, I think she's going to mess, mesh very well with that team. Now on the, uh, on the other side, um, a question about somebody near and dear to our hearts in Connecticut. Can Sue Bird still bring it one more time at 40 years old? Oh, I love Sue Bird. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, it's not fair for that is I, um, uh, in with high post hoops. Um, my Hillel, Mizzou Hillel and everything, love them. They made a Jewish celebrity bracket, and Sue Bird was a 15 seed against Adam Sandler. And I wrote an article. For my- yeah, it was- she lost, but I wrote an article of, um, uh, for High Post Hoops about it, and it was great. Um, Sue Bird, she'll be able to. She's coming off of injury just like Tarasi and is really healthy. Uh, I think she'll be able to do it at 40. I think she'll even go on to compete in the 2021 Olympics. It feels so weird to say 2021 Olympics. Well, that, but she said, but she well, that's said the she's reason going. why she's saying. Yeah, she that's said why she's, she's going. sticking around. Yeah, she's going. And like she's she said in her, in her uh, talk thing with Meg, Megan Rapino, that like she 
is on like a one-year contract basis type of thing. So I, I think that she'll be able to perform well. She's getting Brianna Stewart back, uh, getting great assets and everything coming in. I think it's going to be – I think she'll be able to perform well. I have to ask you now, the fact that this was virtual, this whole draft, it's historic, but also it's weird. What were your thoughts on the virtual draft? And how it- oh, I love it. I loved it so much because I feel like you really got to see the personalities of the players from like their home. Like Satu Sabali is a goddess and like her backdrop and everything really kind of brought back to her roots and stuff like her like ethnic roots. And I thought it was so cool just being able to see that, being able to see like family reactions like right next to them. Like sure they're all at the table, and everything when you're at like the actual draft, but like they're all like sitting on the couch like together, and you get to see them through the whole time through like the interview process. I really liked it. I thought it really kind of brought out like the familial aspect of the WNBA as well. I have a feeling that that's something the WNBA should consider consider going for for future years, as opposed to the flying everybody having the dog and pony show. I was rather entertained. Um, if you were commissioner of the WNBA, what's something you would do right out of the gate to try and get more people to love this sport the way that we do? Oh my gosh, I would wholeheartedly pressure ESPN to put on as many games as they possibly can. I personally would, like as a non-commissioner type of thing, I personally would rather be watching women's basketball than poker. I mean... Honestly, and people, when they'll go to ESPN, if they don't even know a WNBA game is on, and they'll either switch it or they'll be like, oh, this looks cool and give it a chance and I'll bring in more fans. So I would kind of be like, definitely a lot more exposure. And also, and this has been going around Twitter, like there's no tomorrow, um, merch, a lot of merchandise. You need to have more merchandise. I'm waiting for those like name and number shirtsies type of thing because I don't really wear jerseys unless I'm like actually playing the game where I have to so I want a Sophie Cunningham Phoenix Mercury shirt like I, I really want that so doing that and everything to be able to customize shirts that way and I'll also like give commission to the player I think that's super cool just kind of expanding getting like unisex and men's sizes because like there's the stigma that men don't like women's basketball but that is so not true there have been men like everywhere and in so many articles I've read that have been wanting like U.S. women national team for soccer wanting like mega rapino jerseys and they can't get it because they don't have it in men's sizes or unisex sizes they don't and lots of they don't have in like youth sizes either so like expanding that to be able to get like a, the bigger audience who wants to represent like the teams like by wearing jerseys and shirtsies and all that is huge and that also brings in more revenue. So I mean I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm d- also I'm curious. I want to go back to something. Who ended up winning the celebrity bracket? Who won? Oh, we're not yet. It's not done. Oh, it's not done yet. Not no. done yet. I I I would have I still would have picked Sue Bird in the upset over Adam Sandler, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's your favorite team, Lauren? Who's your favorite team? I don't have one. Ah. And like full disclosure right over here is I didn't even become a big WNBA fan until like a few years ago. 
And I guess I became a huge WNBA fan last year when Sophie was drafted. But like, otherwise I never was, I never was exposed to women's basketball. Like I played and everything until I um, decided to go forth with tennis instead. But I was never exposed. And like, I'm from Houston. We had the first dynasty in the Houston Comets. And like, I, I was never exposed to women's basketball. So I don't really have a favorite team. But I have been doing so much research in the WNBA for the past like two years. And like, I literally have made like team packets and I've done three teams. I've done the Comets, the Portland Fire, and the Miami Soul and everything. Like, doing so much research just on my own for fun so I can get more invested in the W. But I really don't have a favorite team. It's just because I was never exposed when I was younger, which is unfortunate. Well, Lauren, tell me about your road to getting on the radio. How does girl from Texas come up to M-I-Z-Z-O-U? get on air and you're now covering and you were covering Missouri women's basketball. Tell me about the road of how you got there and how it's been these last few years. All right. So um, my junior year during spring break, I went of, of high school. I went to the, it's now called the show me tour, but it was called the black and gold tour. It's a huge event that Mizzou has like a few times a year and it brings in, like thousands of people and you're divided into groups of going on like the tour of the campus you tour different majors and programs depending on what you wanted so I initially came to Mizzou to um well people are like oh why'd you come to Mizzou they're like did you come for the journalism school because it's like a top in the nation I would say no because I didn't know how good the journalism school was until I got to Mizzou and heard it like for myself. Like I knew, but I didn't know. I fell in love right when I, like right when the tour started, when I stepped on campus in this place called Larry Mall and like right outside or like Memorial Union building that kind of looks like Hogwarts, but <laughs> I kind of fell in love. It wasn't spring break. The other two schools I visited before Mizzou was last was during spring break. So I got to really feel the campus, feel the people there walking, all the students, the faculty. Um, I went to the journalism school to um, get like the lowdown on kind of like what the J school was, the programs they offered within it, all that fun stuff. And then um, I got in my December, my senior year. And like a day later, I was like, I'm going to Zoom. So that's how I got there. Now, I was in something that they called the freshman interest group, and I was in the sports journalism one specifically, which is in the dorm called South, where all the athletes live. So it's kind of like you got the sports learning committee with all the and like the athletes live there. You got sports journalism, freshman interest group, there's sports management. It's just like all different ones. And we had the general or the sports directors of KCOU of KOMU, which is an NBC affiliate, uh, KBIA, which is like the NPR um, station, so affiliate, and MUTV, which is another student media thing. And with KCOU, I was just like, oh, this sounds interesting. I'm going to go there because during Summer Welcome, I didn't really like go through and like look for the media stuff. I kind of just saw the LGBTQ Center and then like Hillel and Chabad and just kind of like beelined over there to those. So I didn't really see that. And like hearing it from the general manager and summer welcome and everything was just so cool. 
um, in my story, I wrote about that I wasn't anticipating on joining any student media my first semester, but in like October and everything, I kind of started going to meetings and I was like, oh, this is cool. So I covered a men's basketball game. Um, I reported it. That was the first thing I ever did. And then my second thing I ever did was I um, reported the NCAA volleyball tournament. So my freshman year in 2016, Mizzou won the SEC. So they hosted the first two rounds. And it was the second round versus Purdue. And uh, Mizzou won, went on to the Speed 16. And I reported that game. So that was kind of like, I have a lot of opportunities here. This is so cool. Like I'm staying. And that's kind of like how I really got into it. Tell us about coming out at Mizzou. Coming out at Mizzou, like in general, is obviously I went to the LGBTQ Center. So immediately I was out with them. Um, I came out to my roommate like before I even met her. So like second semester of our senior year. So like that was easy. And then I decided to come out to my freshman interest group because I was just like, I can't like live a lie type of thing, quote unquote. So and like so I came out to them and they had my back. They didn't care. So I was like really cool. Um, And then coming out at KCOU because like I didn't like I didn't join or want to join initially because I didn't want to be out of that capacity. I was very overwhelmed, very intimidated. And I just kind of decided, like, look, if I'm going to stick in with this place for, like, four years, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm going to come out anyways and just, like, be authentic. So that's kind of, like, what I did. Really, like, received majority acceptance. There are some people who have never met an LGBTQ person in their life. So it was, like, kind of weird for them. But they, they got used to it once they started to, like, know me. Um, that's kind of like how it went. And then it kind of just continued with coming out every single year in KCOU. But like, I would, I actually wouldn't be the one coming out. People would out me. And then this past year, I was just like to the sports director who was in my freshman interest group. We're so tight. Um, and the general manager of KCOU, I was kind of like, okay, guys, I'm going to come out during the second sports meeting. And they're like, okay. So I came out to them because I was so sick and tired of other people outing me. And I was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to do it on my own accord. And I wasn't really expecting like good reception or like the reception I got. I got like literally a standing ovation after I finished. Like it wow. was, it was wow. so weird. And I was like shaking like a chihuahua the whole entire time. And I was not afraid to admit it. I was like shaking. I was like, Clearly, guys, like, I hate doing this. Like, I'm shaking. I'm nervous. But, like, I have to do it. I don't like coming out. But it's something that, like, we kind of have to do. Otherwise, like, you're kind of assumed to be one thing or the other. And I was just like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to come out. It's fine. Wait, we're hearing that noise. You know what that means. We got to take a little bit of break for a little bit. But when we come back, we're going to find out about Lauren's best game. The transporter room. Stay with us. Welcome back to the transporter room with Carly Webb and me, Don Ennis. Our guest is Lauren Rosenberg from Mizzou. First, Lauren, that, I mean, that's an interesting story. That's the way a coming out should be. Uh, but and since then, you've been you've been Mike's side for some big Mizzou sports moments, but. What stands out for you? What do you think was your best game? Okay, so I actually have 
two series that were my best game. Um, and they're all my senior year. So first off, broadcasting. So, okay, I broadcasted or covered or reported five uh, postseason tournament type of thing, series. And it was – I reported, like I said, 2016 NCAA volleyball tournament. I was in studio for all three games, um, first first round, second round, Sweet 16, and 2017. So I wasn't able to travel to any of them because I had sorority obligations. Uh, junior year, I traveled to Lincoln and reported the first two games. And then this past year, I broadcasted the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament for Mizzou for volleyball in Lincoln. So we traveled to Lincoln again. Um, one of my crew members was the same guy I did it my junior year with. He was a freshman at the time, now a sophomore. And it, that was my favorite thing. I love volleyball. I really do. Um, and being able to broadcast those two games was so much fun. I just kind of love the intensity of doing it. it was like in, Just like announcing the kills and digs and just the score and the highlighting the people. That was one of my favorites, but my all-time favorite one was the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament. The first two rounds, Mizzou versus Ole Miss and Mizzou versus Tennessee. Those were my best calls I think I've ever had, and those were my favorites. I also got to meet Kansas Parker, so that was that was really cool. But those were my favorites in the first uh, game against Ole Miss. We were sitting behind ESPN, so like you could see us like – talking into the microphone and then like our reporters right there like right behind like Tamika Catchings I can't remember who the other broadcaster was so like we were right behind on ESPN it was so cool like being able to see us on TV when we do radio um and then like the second game like Mizzou lost but that was such a tight game until like the fourth quarter and I think those are my favorite calls I've ever done I like I said obviously I love basketball so being able to like yell out like Asia Blackwell with the three and everything, it was just like so much fun. And just the energy at the tournament was in both the volleyball and the um, women's basketball tournament were just like, there's nothing that can describe the tournament of postseason and like the, the feel of postseason. It's just like, and it makes the call so much better because then you can hear the background noise. You can hear the fans and like that's that's what you want. You still want to be able to hear the broadcasters, and you want to hear the fans. You want to try to get the atmosphere as much as possible on radio, and obviously on TV. But it's harder to do it on radio. You just like have to get it, and it just made the call so much better, so much more entertaining for the, um, us as the broadcasters, and then for like our listeners. I think those are my all-time favorites. That just took me back to my own college memories, covering the same sport, doing the same thing. That, I bet that was a lot of fun. So I think I know the answer to this question, Lauren, but what's your dream job after graduating? And do you think that being a woman is a hindrance in this current state of the industry? So ideally, I really want to cover... um, and both like concurrently the WNBA and uh, NCAA women's basketball. Like, I feel like that'd be so much fun, especially being like in a WNBA city and covering like a college right there. Like I kind of, I really do want to go to Phoenix and cover like 
Arizona State and like the Mercury, like right for them report. I mean, I would love to broadcast, but that is um, there's a lot less opportunities to do the broad like do broadcasting than there is to write. Like though, but like ideally, like, those would be like my number one like go tos. Like I want to do that so bad. And I was actually just talking to my mom yesterday, like last night about if the Houston Comets ever come back, I will gladly move back to Houston to cover the Comets and like University of Houston or like Rice or Texas Southern, like women's basketball or Houston Baptist. Like, I don't care. Like, I just like really want to cover women's basketball. Like that would be the dream. Well, I can tell you that dream is out. That dream is out there as the game, as the game grows. Um, but before we move on, but before we move on, it, it's still a man's world, unfortunately. It's still hard for women to break in. There are women broadcasters and, and color analysts, and there are more women on sidelines in NFL games than ever. But you don't see a obstacle in your, in, in your gender? I think there definitely is an obstacle, as like you said, like it's a very male-dominated profession, obviously sports in general. Um, but I feel like it's coming to a time where with women's sports that they're getting a lot more like women to cover women's sports. I've been noticing that lately in like a trend of like this past season. And I feel like companies are kind of like being like, oh, wait, we should have women broadcasting or reporting or writing women's sports. Huh, I wonder why. <laughs> so, wow, like, what a concept. <laughs> right? Like, Oh my gosh, women covering women's sports? Like, because who knows women's sports better than women, honestly, especially like if you played, like, even if you didn't play, like, and that's not, and then people can make the argument that people know, like, that men know men's sports better. But I feel like because women have to continuously, unfortunately, prove themselves in knowing sports, I think women actually know men's sports better than men do. <laughs> you know what? I can, I can attest to that. I can attest that having to work, especially having worked with some of the some of the top women in the business, including having the opportunity to have some good access to one who is a graduate of the University of Missouri and is one of I think is the best writer in the country as far as women's basketball is concerned. So, no, I'm with you. I mean, you'd be surprised that there's a lot of women that can beat them, that can beat down knowledge wise. A lot of guy, a lot of barflies in this country who think they know sports. Um, for yourself, for yourself, one thing you've had, you covered University of Missouri and th this past year, their women's basketball team kind of had a rough year. What's it like covering a team that's struggling? I think it's, it really wasn't that hard because like, we had to go back to like what I grew up with when following sports. Like I'm a New York Giants, Golden State Warriors and Boston Red Sox fan. But I am from Houston, so that makes me know Houston Texans, Houston Astros, Houston Rockets. In the days like when they were not that good, when the Astros were called the last girls and the disasters, I still went to game. I would beg my dad to let us go to games. Uh, he says season tickets and kind of just like drop them, especially when uh, they moved to the American League. He's a Mets fan, so you know you would get Yay. the Mets. Um, we'd go to those games but like I would have to beg him literally to let me go and like to get us tickets to see the Astros when they were just horrendous and I think that 
upbringing of really awful hometown sports for a good period of time was kind of like gave me an advantage of not like or I guess of being able to still appreciate Missouri women's basketball despite their really bad year after losing Sophie Cunningham and Lauren Aldridge and I guess we can we can mention Sierra Porter there too but like I think it gave me an advantage to still enjoy it because it's women's basketball, something I love. Like I love sports and I'll follow them no matter if they're great and going to four straight NCAA tournaments at the heels of Sophie Cunningham or if they're struggling, but you see the promise and the freshman at like Asia Blackwell and Haley Frank. And then like Amber Smith, who's now a, who uh, will be graduating in May. So um Mizzou women's basketball alum just seeing them and they still had so much passion and so much love for the game even if they would lose and a lot of the games they lost were very close so like I still would when I was home for break I would turn on the game and watch it full hearted full and wholeheartedly like I love like win or lose like we mentioned Princeton earlier Bella Larry Bella Larry completely dismantled Mizzou um during non-con play and I still watch the whole entire game because I still love to see the passion in their eyes and see their love of the game see coach Robin Pinchton still doing her thing and still like believing in the team we still had fans going to the games like we still had fans so it wasn't like after Sophie left that like you were just like okay bye like especially getting Asia and Haley in as freshmen and Michael Lynn to come as well, although she uh, took red shirt, getting hometown people and stuff coming in still brought in so many fans win or lose. And I still think that like the passion that Mizzou fans have really still helped me love the game even more. You mentioned the Houston Astros and Dawn and I are currently working on this. We're having an argument. If you've, if you've had a chance to see the old Houston Astros uniforms. This goes back probably before you were born. The old Technicolor Dream rainbow ones. It definitely if goes back before she was born. 1976, <laughs> five to 1986. <laughs> hey, they've had they've had old. Hey, they've had throwback days since then. They you know what you're talking about the, the tequila they've sunrise done uniforms. Them a couple times since right. then. Okay, honest thoughts on the uniform. Oh, I love them. I I really do love them because I I kind of like love like sunset type of things and it just reminds me of a sunset. Like you could like go through my phone and just see like all of the sunset pictures I have and then that kind of ties into why I love those uniforms. I think they're so uh, beautiful. So <laughs> they look like, like pajamas. They're pajamas. I first saw them when I was 11 years oh, old Dawn, and I said it. they were pajamas. Ooh, I'm a Mets pajamas. fan, so I'm going to hate the Astros no matter what they do, they could wear the most beautiful uniforms in the world, and I'm still gonna hate them. <laughs> oh, hush! Well, you'll read about it next Monday in uh, in Outsports. You're boring and traditionalist. Oh, hush! Yes, that's me. So we call this show the Transporter Room because we're both Star Trek geeks and nerds. Is there a uh, Star Trek or a sci-fi that you happen to enjoy or a fantasy? I like Doctor Who. I really oh, do that's like cool. Doctor. Oh, that's cool. The new Doctor, isn't she great? Oh, she's awesome. I've only seen a few episodes of it because, like, like, with school and everything before coronavirus and stuff, I was so busy. And then also, like, it's kind of hard to watch them when you're in the U.S. 
So, like, I've only seen, like, a few episodes here and there. But once I'm able to, like, watch the whole thing, I'll definitely will be able to appreciate her even more. I think she's wonderful. I'm inclined to agree. I think they, I think, I like the new, dire- I like the direction that this, that this generation of Doctor Who's taking. Yeah, I definitely do, too. I definitely agree. We're so glad that you were able to join us. This has been a lot of fun, and I hope that you'll come back and join all of our Outsports followers on our Outsports Zoom night on Fridays, 7 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We talk about everything under the sun, including sports, and, you know, how we're all doing with the coronavirus. I hope you stay safe and that you stay well, and I know what it's like with this online education. It's not my favorite either, honey. It sucks, but we're almost done. Almost Almost there, exactly. I I have just like about... Uh, a dozen classes left and we can do whatever we're going to do for the summer. <laughs> All right. If we're, if they'll let us do anything for the yeah. summer. One last thing I'll tell you right now, should we have a WNBA season or even if we don't, we want you back here at the transporter room. We oh, yeah, want do you come back. back and visit us again. Yes. We have to come back. All right. Just let me know when I will. Awesome. You got Setting it. coordinates for Columbia, Missouri. Missouri down. Don't say Missouri, right? M I Z Z O U. Oh yeah. M I Z Z O U. There we go. You know what it is. What a treat. She is just so knowledgeable and fun. And I love her energy. That's it. Let me tell you, if I was a news director, I'd I'd snap her up right now. Oh yeah. I would say get her before she graduates, right? The future. The future of this business is in good hands, but that's what it takes. You need people with passion and you need people, you need people who know it, but also I had, I mean, in a lot of ways, watching her, I was looking at myself at that age about to break into this business. And I remember what I was told by a professor of mine at Northwestern who said, if you're really going to be in it, you have to be in it. You have to eat it. Leave, you have to eat it, sleep it, breathe it, and live it because if you don't, you will not do this well. And I can tell she is eating it, sleeping it, breathing it, living it. And a note to all you, note to any news directors, radio sports directors out there, Lauren Rosenberg, if you see her resume cross your desk, give it a good long look. Oh, just skip that. Hire her. <laughs> Second that too. Even better. Just hire her. On our on our advice alone. All right, Carly. I'll see you next week on the Transporter Room. Great talking hey, with you. Hey, always great talking with you. And everybody out there, stay safe and do what you can. We gotta flatten the curve. <laughs>